All right, everybody, welcome back to episode two of the Inspired Podcast. Um, as usual, I'm your host, Dr. Corey Still, and today I am super excited because we have two amazing guests with us that are going to help us center our discussions around Native visibility and representation. So we are honored to be joined today by Hud Oberly, who is a member of the Board of Directors for American Indian Graduate Center, as well as Clementine Bordeaux, who is also an American Indian Graduate Center scholar. So we just want to say to both of you, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Um, we really do just cherish that you all were able to make space and join with us today as we just kind of discuss and center native visibility and representation. Um, so just a quick background of our two guests today. HUD is Osage, Caddo, and Comanche, and currently serves as the creative director at Urban Native Era. Here, he leads the organization's content, clothing design, and social media initiatives to amplify their mission. Previously, HUD has served as the program coordinator for the Indigenous program at Sundance Institute, where he managed artist relations and the creative input. In his previous work experience, he's navigated the advertising industry, working in many different niche sectors, from credit union marketing to sports marketing, all specializing in social media. He holds a bachelor's degree from the University of Colorado Boulder in advertising with a minor in business. Clementine is an enrolled member of the Rosebud Sioux Tribe. She received a bachelor's degree in theater and communication from Carthers College, as well as a master's degree in communication from the University of Washington, Seattle, with the Native Voice Indigenous Documentary Film Program. She then went on to work for six years as the academic coordinator for American Indian Studies in a departmental program at UCLA, before starting her doctoral work in the World Arts and Culture Dance Department at UCLA. As a doctoral student, she strives to develop media-based projects with and for Indigenous communities by interweaving ethnography, new media, and her understanding of Lakota ontology. So Clementine Hud, thank you both for being here with us today. And um, so I just want to kind of open it up. And I know we've kind of given your small snippets of formal introduction, but I wanted to provide space for you all to um, introduce yourself. So Clementine, we'll kind of start with you. Uh, if you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself or a little bit more about your background. Hi, everyone. Uh, Clementine Bordeaux-Imachiapi, Waziaha, Amataha, Na, Miniluzaha, Elwati. I'm Clementine Bordeaux, or um, also known as Mini to a lot of my family members and friends here in uh, South Dakota, and I grew up on the Pine Ridge Reservation and currently living in Rapid City, South Dakota, um, and I am a graduate student at the University of California, Los Angeles, and I'm really excited to be here for the podcast and chat with you all. Um, AIGC has been such a great support of my education, both in my master's degree and now in my PhD, so always happy. Um, and then, of course, I followed I follow Urban Native Era's kind of um, progress across their different designs and engagement. So it's really great to be on this panel with HUD as well. So thank you, Corey and everyone for being here. Thank you so much. Again, we're so excited um, for you to be here and just again, sharing space and sharing your knowledge and experience with us. HUD, do you wanna take uh, just a few moments and kind of tell us about yourself and your background? Um, just a little bit about my upbringing, just real quick. I won't go too long, but I grew up in Norman, Oklahoma. Um, grew up around my Osage gatherings, Comanche gatherings, and Caddo gatherings. I There's something in me. I just have to get out and adventure and learn about 
all different peoples and different ways of life. So I ended up leaving Oklahoma and as Corey mentioned, left to go to Colorado. And now I currently live in Los Angeles, California, where uh, I work with Urban Vera. And what brought me out here was my job with Sundance, which I'm happy to get into and expand upon working in the indigenous program there. But generally, I'm just happy to be here and, and always very grateful anytime I get to um, contribute to AIGC, whether it's this podcast or sitting on the board. It's, it's, all, it's been a great experience from the start. So thank you, everyone. Uh, especially Corey that's brought me on here. Thank you, Hun. Again, we're just, we're so excited to have you both here. Um, and so let's just kind of really jump into the questions here. So you both have worked and studied and been in this space of native visibility and representation um, through just different aspects of your own individual work and your individual researches. So can you describe how you both personally advocate for native visibility and representation um, in those various just kind of sectors of your lives or those various places in which you engage with. And then we'll just kind of open it up, HUD, we'll go back to you. Cool. Yeah, so when I, when I think about this question, I really think about my current job and then working with uh, the Sundance Film Institute and their indigenous program where our main mission was to search for, identify, and develop emerging filmmakers that were indigenous. And so I think through just that, that mission and the everyday work, we were, we were trying to get these indigenous filmmakers and their stories out into the world to, to provide an accurate representation because as we all know, Hollywood has been misrepresenting and giving inaccurate representations for so long of indigenous peoples that that our program at Sundance was was doing everything we could to combat that and working with our our colleagues within Sundance and they're like whether it was documentary or narrative or short films or all the different categories there we were always trying to see where we can fit in these little our little our little filmmakers we were trying to get to kind of blossom and then now with Urban Native Era we do a lot through like through art forms, so clothing design, and even just graphic design. Um, CEO founder Joey Montoya of Urban Native Era has done a lot of graphic design for certain causes like Oak Flats and um, the Mount Akea and a lot of the, a lot of those type of movements. So, and we carry that on today. So, just a lot of different, I guess, art forms is where impact is kind of came into my life um, for visibility and representation. I think that's so critical when we talk about not just, not just native visibility within um, media, because you know, I, I think it might surprise a lot of people that Hollywood doesn't represent native people accurately. What, what is this? Uh, we, we thought they did, what is this? You know, that might come to a surprise for some people, but that that representation, goes into this, the digital format as well. You know, you talked about, you know, really creating that representation piece in the digital format. Um, so I appreciate you kind of talking about you know, those two specific mediums that a lot of the times we get that visibility from or that inaccurate visibility from. Uh, Clementine, you know, do you want to kind of talk about the, the areas and spaces that you work with? Because I know you kind of overlap similarly. 
Yeah, I think my experience, especially after undergrad, I was kind of flailing around, like, what am I going to do with my theater degree on the reservation? Um, and at the time, it was, you know, it was, you know, a very long time ago. Um, but I think I was trying to find a place to to really exercise my experience in undergrad, but also how to give back to my community. So I ended up doing a lot of youth work for about two years um, and realizing we really needed representation and role models and and not and it not in the extraordinary. I think that's one thing that from that experience of doing youth work to now being in my PhD program, uh, I really want to focus in on the everyday, um, the everyday acts that help us be reminded that we're that we're human beings and that we're all like worthy of love and care that we don't have to do extraordinary things to be paid attention to. Um, and I think we forget that because often the attention that occurs, especially for Lakota people is our acts of resistance, right? Um, we've had amazing acts of resistance to all the uh, oil pipelines and Standing Rock, the Keystone XL right now, thinking about um, line three, right? These resistance moments. But I think often for youth, we need that reminder of the everyday that, that the everyday acts of just like putting on a pair of beaded earrings or wearing your ribbon skirt or like putting on a native design shirt, like those moments are really important. And, and so for me in, in the different spaces that I've worked in, especially within higher education, it's just those little everyday acts that I'm really interested in. And I've really tried to be a reminder in spaces but also like remind myself, we don't have to overexert ourselves often to be able to find community. And so from doing my youth work to getting my master's degree um, at the University of Washington and then working at UCLA for six years, a lot of it was just finding those moments um, to, to support community. And sometimes that also just means like showing up to a community event and cleaning tables, right? Who's going to break down our tables? Who's going to hand out food? Like those were the things, especially in those six years when I was working at the university, um, just being present for the local communities, both the urban native community and the, the local tribal communities of the Tongva and the Tataviam. So I think in my journey of visibility, it's really trying to find those moments to uh, just be present. Um, and I think that's really important as well. And those are the lessons that I've learned in these different spaces uh, that I've experienced. And Clementine, I think you bring up a great point because we talk about how we don't think about it, but representation can be a form of resiliency. You know, you talked about even just that simple statement of wearing um, like a, a beaded rope necklace or beaded earrings or the ribbon skirt or something or an applique shirt, you know, it helps us find that community. It helps us find that place in which we are making ourselves visible as native people. We're making ourselves visible in spaces that um, we're often not meant or not supposed to be seen in. Um, and we're also, you know, cr creating that visibility and representation of we are an active people. We're not a static people. So I really do like, you know, that, that community work and that community representation really does kind of 
bring us into that my next question. Um, so you know we know that our communities, our native communities, both urban, reservation, rural, um, are often inaccurate or misrepresented in pop culture, and sometimes even romanticized to to an effect that we've seen through um, some of our historic media's and things like this. So you know we always have that um, what we've come to call that noble noble Indian warrior or that savage that savage warrior you know that's that's the pro and the con and the Indian maiden and that romanticized um, imagery that we see so Clementine and Hud and y'all's personal and professional experiences what are you know some of the best practices and methodologies leaders in these industries could do to promote accurate and equitable representation for our communities and Clementine I'm gonna pass this one to you first I think for me, especially coming from one of those communities that's often plastered in this romantic idea of the noble savage, um, right, plains Indians, we think about teepees and horses and headdresses. Uh, I think as a Lakota person, especially being in other tribal communities, I've really tried to actively work at being a guest on someone else's territory. And what does it mean then to uplift those images and those stories um, and their relationship with their place as a, as a Lakota person, right? Like if I'm, uh, my experience at the University of Washington, I, I, I was surrounded by so many amazing scholars and students and professors and community members who really helped me kind of refocus my understanding of being in a different place. And you know, being in Seattle on Duwamish land, like what does it mean to uplift Pacific Northwest coast communities and their images and their stories? And then moving to Southern California, which is so much different than anywhere else I've ever been. Um, it was really, especially for communities that are not federally recognized like the Tongva and the Tataviam, for me it was, okay, I have to challenge these stereotypes that are from my own community, right, produced, you know, Plains Indian communities. And then how do I reshift and reframe and uplift the narratives and the stories of that place? Um, and I think for me, that is one thing that I've challenged myself to do is really focus on being a guest in other people's territory. And what does it mean to uplift their stories and their images? Um, because we can get, like, I can get the native the like Lakota image everywhere, right? People are putting teepees everywhere, they're putting headdresses everywhere, but what does it mean to uplift images and stories that come from these other lands? Um, and so for me personally, like that's one thing that I've really tried to do because people automatically think of the Northern Plains or they think of, right, like Navajo Southwest, right? Those are the things that kind of are, are picked up easily and recognizable because of the way that um, these images have been reproduced. And so as, as a Lakota person who comes from those communities, um, I really, I've really tried to think about, well, how, if I'm operating in someone else's territory, like how do I uplift these stories um, and, and really challenge that? And it, it's not always easy, right? Sometimes, um, we don't, you know, some communities just want a specific image or a specific way of understanding representation. Um, and often, the, I think the other challenge is then those communities are so small. 
So if those communities are at capacity for like artistry or um, like their elders, right? We want elders to come open a gathering, but if they're at capacity, then how do we conduct ourselves to uplift that, that and have a you know narrative that's centered in place? Um, I think those are challenges we'll continue to have um, because they're, although there's so many different tribes, like we're still such a small population as indigenous people here. So I guess those are just some thoughts I had about representation broadly. HUD, do you want to add anything to that or from your own personal and professional experiences? Yeah, and Clementine, I think those are definitely great points and um, I look forward to thinking more about the answer and like implementing those things you mentioned because those are things we think of as being urban like the brand urban native era making sure we're you know keeping in mind that we are guests in this Los Angeles area since we moved down here from the Bay Area in California um, just last year almost exactly a year ago but I just wanted to um, let you know I appreciate that answer but yes for representation and I'll kind of go more like my the professional like that Hollywood thing we talked about earlier so I think you know the the people in in the decision making positions in Hollywood and in these industries I think for them if they're listening is that they need to evaluate people of color and since we're specifically talking about us as indigenous people evaluate indigenous candidates for other decision making roles because in this in this business especially hollywood where it's dog eat dog and you know if you're not at the table they're having you for for dinner you know that kind of mentality that's that's what hollywood is and there's people like Crystal Echo Hawk at Illuminatives and other people who have been involved with their, I can't remember the exact number now, but that multi-million dollar research project that they they took that step to get those results. And now there's there's data, there's like hard facts from all groups of, and communities in the country talking about, we want to hear accurate indigenous stories we we felt wronged by our education system in the united states that we didn't know these facts or these questions that were being asked by this research study so it takes it does take that that very kind of assertive and even aggressive attitude to to play and get things done within what this dominant society has has created so with that like film and we're seeing, you know, we're seeing changes within film with people like Sterling Harjo and Taika Waititi and Sydney Freeland, Alex Lazarowicz, a ton of people that all came through the Sundance Indigenous program, but they're doing things and they're having um, data to back up why their stories are important, why their stories should be picked up for another season, like Rutherford Falls recently for season two, or just to be to be looked at, you know, as a, as a pilot. So there's a lot of that within the professional and like film industry specifically um, for representation. Uh, again, I think both of you make some great points. You know, we have seen 
um, that representation begin to climb and, and receive more exposure, especially in the past couple of years. And then knowing, um, you know, you both, you both put in uh, work with native students and native youth. You know, I, I know, you know, Clementine, you were talking about the, the work that you do um, there with native youth and native representation. And I know you've done a lot of work in, in working with native youth and speaking with native youth on representation issues. What advice would or could both of you all share for native students who are pursuing higher education um, as they enter these spaces and these environments that they are bound to encounter these types of stereotypes and misrepresentations. What advice do you have for them and how to handle that or in, and navigate that? And then I'll just leave this one open. So whoever wants to jump in first. Yeah, I can, I'll, I'll hop in here just real quick. Um, so I would say to native students that that you're right, Corey, they are going to encounter these stereotypes and the effects of misrepresentation for decades that, that we've experienced. But I think what's important is to stay focused on what the native, the na these native students are pursuing because wherever they're going or even wherever they end up, what they're accomplishing is that resilience just by by existence i think you mentioned that earlier corey but just by them you know being in these different spaces whether it's film or clothing design or research or any of these any of these spaces that's what i think is evolving and maybe a more quiet change that's occurring is more native students are getting involved in things across the board, not just um, maybe things that are getting to capacity, or I don't think there could ever be a capacity as far as Indian country across, across Indian country, um, native students or native peoples in a certain industry. But as long as there's people, you know, getting into all these different spaces and providing a seat at the table for indigenous people, I think that's what's important to stay focused on and not worry about maybe like someone saying something or maybe there's some type of nepotism or I'm, I don't know exactly the situation, but there could be something like that, but just staying focused on what the end goal is and seeing, seeing past that day or even that week or something short term. Clementine, do you have anything else you want to add to that? Yeah, just to build off of what HUD was saying about um, Rem remembering why you're in school, I think is really important. Uh, I would suggest picking and choosing your battles, uh, especially, you know, if you're a transfer student, right, you might be coming from tribal college or community college, like you only have a couple years at a university. Um, so just remember why you're there. Uh, and I think that was often a struggle I would have with as a staff person trying to advise students because um, they would get so fired up about things. Uh, and I'd be like, remember the long game, right? There's, there's staff and faculty. Um, thankfully, like there's amazing colleges and universities that have staff and we can always use more, but there are folks there that are there long-term. So figure out how to support the efforts that have already been going on. And then as a student, like taking care of yourself as a student. 
Um, and I think often what happens, especially for Native students, is they feel like they have to do it all, right? They have to be the best in their class. They have to challenge all these representations and stereotypes. And then they're like, I have to worry about my community at home, right? And there's only so much that students can do. And so I would really encourage students to pick and choose your battles. Um, and just remember that being in school is already from the jump battling these stereotypes and these representations. So just showing up as a student and going to class and being present in class is already half the battle. Um, and to not put so much pressure on yourself that you have to change the world in those few years that you're in your undergraduate career. Um, and I think I, I, and find a community that will support that. I think surrounding yourself with like-minded like folks or folks that also will challenge you in different ways for the better is really important. I think I was at a predominantly white institution for my undergrad career and it was really other black and brown students that uplifted me and other women and uh, reminded me that I could just be a student, that I didn't have to fight all the battles as the only native student on the college campus. Um, and now that I am an alumni and there are shifts happening at my alma mater, like. I'm able to go back as an alumni and be like, okay, how can I support these changes now, right? Like 15, 20 years later, I can come back and support my, my college in a different way than when I was a student. And so also thinking about just the, the, the longevity, um, don't burn yourself out trying to change that campus. Cause that campus has been stagnant for a long time often. So really trying to pick and choose um, where to exert your effort um, and also be reminded to rest, that resting is really important to be able to participate in our community as well. Definitely agree with, with what you said there, Clementine. You know, there's, there's a balance in that. There's a balance in really trying to make sure that we are representing not only ourselves and our families and our peoples and our communities in the right way, but we're doing so um, that isn't burning us out. And, you know, I think one of the things that you both had kind of talked about um, and, and Clementine, Clementine you, you kind of called it out, it's like, we got to play the long game. You know, we could, that's that mentality of, we've got to play the long game of this representation. And, you know, I, I think in a lot of different sectors we have, because now we are looking at an era where we have native leaders like um, one of our AIGC alumni, Madam Secretary Deb Holland, who has become the uh, Secretary of Interior for the United States. The, the first time that we have a native person who's held that position. Um, and then organizations like, like HUD, you talked about a while ago, Illuminative, who are advocating for Indian country. Um, you know, they've, they've done so much work and that representation advocacy across in the country. How do you both anticipate native visibility and representation evolving um, in the coming months or even years? You know, now that we've now that we've seen these, we played that proverbial long game, and now we're seeing the fruits of that come to fruition. How are we going to see this even evolve greater? How do you think we're going to see this evolve greater? And HUD, I'm going to go ahead and toss this one over to you. Sure thing. Yeah, so I mean, I think, you know, some of those things I mentioned earlier with the, the TV 
and film progress. Um, and as you were asking that question, it, it's funny. I don't know if this is like, you know, as has the largest magnitude or the biggest impact, but just thinking about more non-Indigenous people seeing us on screen or, you know, it, it's not like it's as we're not as much of a spectacle, you know, it's not like we're the only Indigenous person someone encounters for like, you know, could be years or someone's whole life. And then that's when they ask us these questions about like, do y'all still live in teepees and do y'all like ride horses and why don't you have long hair? All these, you know, these questions as if we are a spectacle. I think what will change, especially in these coming months and years is that it'll be more normal to see us accomplishing, you know, progressing society in our own way and uplifting society as a whole, but also our own indigenous um, societies, Indian country, <laughs> um, for an older saying. But yeah, that, I think that's just something that came to mind when you asked that question. So Hud, I think one of the things that you said there um, really does embody and empower a lot of what we're talking about is being able to say, we need to normalize modern native representation in, in today's society. We need to be able to be able to look and see native people in the variety of just phenotypes that we come in, the ways that we represent ourselves, the ways that we look, the ways that we carry ourselves, that there's no one way to be native or to represent natives, that we all have that multiple, um, multiple intersectionality of who we are and how we identify as native people. So that idea of normalizing and the normalcy of native representation in, in this modern society. So I really think that's a powerful impact right there. Clementine, I wanna turn it over to you um, and just, just hear the words that you have, have to add. Yeah, I think HUD made some really great points about uh, seeing us in the everyday, right? I think um, as frustrated as, as I get with the federal government, it's really exciting to see Auntie Deb up there all the time you know um I remember when her and Sharice were first elected like just being in tears um because there's these amazing native women um in these leadership positions and um and I think we it's it's a yes and right we need we need it all we need we need people in those places we need people resisting those places right and I think that also reflects the diversity of our tribes that are now you know, in the United States and, and being able to see that diversity and uh, really uplift it is really, is really great. And I think uh, is also very exciting that we can, you know, uh, like HUD said with Rutherford Falls and Reservation Dogs and um, all of these different film and TV images that are coming out that don't always uh, showcase Native people from a deficit model or that they're uplifting comedy and they're uplifting um, these different narratives that aren't necessarily wrapped up in the typical historicized like people of the plains. Uh, so I just it's really exciting to me and and also challenging I think uh, we need we need we need it all and we need it to be normal and that uh, and to see us as, as everyday people, uh, I think moving back to South Dakota to do my fieldwork, I was reminded about how 
Native people are often um, drenched in negative stereotypes, are drenched in like these deficit models that we are only, you know, seeing when it's a dire situation. And I'm like, I went to see those every day. You know, I went to see the aunties that are like cooking food for their relatives. And I went to be surrounded um, by the diversity of our people. And I think that is one thing that seeing, you know, someone like Auntie Deb Holland um, really gives me courage to just to just be present, um, which I think is really important. And again, I, I think I, I agree with everything you say, both of y'all. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's so important that we have these conversations that center visibility and representation and you know, you were, Clementine, you kind of talked about the, the historical viewpoint and that, that kind of going back into that static rep, uh, visibility of Native people. And, you know, I was just, just last night, I was, there was a deck of cards that we found at dinner. It was at a, a restaurant here in Oklahoma. And it, the deck of cards was called uh, View of the Native Peoples of America. And on each card, it had a different tribe. And as I, I kind of was like, hmm, and I started looking at the cards, and just the historical inaccuracies. You know, we talked about, you know, that the imagery of the Great Plains, and that's what everyone is often, when we think native or we think Indian or we think indigenous, um, especially indigenous to North America, that's the imagery we have. And as I looked through that deck, you know, all 52 cards, 52 different tribes, the, there was some type of Plains imagery, even for those tribes that didn't belong in the Plains or weren't in the Plains, you know, I'm Katua, I got to Cherokees and I just, I almost tore the car myself, but that's okay, you know, that that's what we're here to show. And, you know, both of you are doing an outstanding job in your respective fields and your respective professions, showing that native representation and that as native people, we are still here, we are still visible, and we are still working to normal, normalize our visibility and so with that, I just want to ask um, both you all, as we kind of wrap up here, is there any other, anything else that you want to add to this? Anything else that you all maybe want to speak to or any other pieces of advice to any of our scholars or community members or, you know, HUD, those Hollywood people that might be listening to us on Spotify right now, you know, anything that you want to say before we kind of end up uh, or in this, in this session today? I can, I can uh, give some final thoughts. Uh, I think it is really important that we uplift each other, um, but also challenge each other. I think uh, it's, we have been so desperate for representation and we've been so desperate to have our narratives and our stories and our lives shared like anybody else that we often will, will let things slide, right? And I think we're in this time period now where it's okay to challenge each other and that trying to hold each other accountable to our communities is not always a, a pessimistic thing. Um, I think I'm, I'm seeing a lot of people, especially from my generation, who are calling out like people who are overly performative or extracting resources um, and whether, and especially within the, in, in representation. And I think it's okay, you know, I think about it, it's like an auntie shushing you, right? Like when your auntie is like, Shh, you know, you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. And we, we have to often do that to each other, right? We have to 
to emotionally pinch each other and be able to to hold each other accountable because it's coming from a place of care and we have to really think about that longevity of representation that it you know at, at at certain times it was okay to uplift certain images, but now like let's really challenge each other to dive into that diversity of our communities and dive into the diversity of tribal representation and really uplift each other and hold each other accountable to our communities in a way um, that centers community and centers community care and not necessarily how um, how these structures of white supremacy with whether that is at the university which the university is embedded with white supremacy or hollywood is embedded with white supremacy but how are we holding each other accountable to representation that reflects us in a in a way of care and a way that centers community um, and often that's challenging but i really and and i constantly have to check myself right like how am i operating from a place of care? How am I ensuring that it's not always about me? You know, I'm a, I'm a Oglala Lakota, like I always wanna center Lakota people, like I'm a Lakota nationalist, but like, <laughs> you know, I really have to challenge myself too, to be like, how do I, how do I help uplift other voices when I'm in other communities? And I think we should all really challenge ourselves to do that. I like that Lakota nationalist. I'm gonna stomach a Katua nationalist now. I like that. HUD, is there anything you want to add? Yes, but again, I just had to thank Clementine because that that was those a lot of those thoughts were gonna be my final thoughts. But um, you know, just as we we ask and we answer questions about what can these industry leaders do to you know make their workplace or their industry more inclusive of indigenous people but like clementine said we need to challenge ourselves and and get ourselves to a point where we can be ready for those opportunities and to to the native students that are listening to this like it's important to put in the work where you're at and not expect someone to, you know, do something for us. And as you know, through our history, it's not like we get handed things or we're not, we're not, we definitely don't expect for things to just be given to us. But I think it's important for us to like, just keep challenging ourselves and pushing, pushing ourselves to eventually, you know, be able to progress the whole. Cause I think there's some areas and just in my personal experience that some, you know, whether we're disadvantaged through history, through generations, because we're, we're starting maybe a couple steps behind the starting blocks, but we, we still have things to, to accomplish and make up some ground in some ways. So just keep challenging ourselves and pushing ourselves and forcing our seat at the table. Well, thank you both, Clementine Hutt. Thank you so much for your words and your encouragements that you've given and just your willingness to, to sit down with us today and share space. And to all of our listeners out there, students, community members, um, allies and accomplices that might be listening, you know, we wanna challenge you all. You know, we know as native people, our stories are often portrayed from that deficit. You know, our stories are often portrayed um, and told from that deficit perspective. But we know we do so much more. 
we know we have so much resiliency and so much positive representation to give as our communities, as a, and Native scholars and Native professionals. And so I challenge you to go and be a part of that telling and a part of that visibility and a part of that representation to, again, remind people that as Native people, we're still here. We are still visible and we are, like Hud said, normalizing our representation in today's society. You know, Clementine, I thought you, you said it eloquently when you talked about um, transforming that deficit model and, and we, need, we, all, we all need to be a part of that. We all need to be out there and working. Um, and again, even to our, our non-Native brothers and sisters and family members who might be listening or, or listening into this, you know, that there is community in that. There is allyship and accompliceship uh, in that. And so I just wanna thank again, both of you all for sharing space, space with us here, just being, just being in community with us here. And to all of our listeners, again, thank you all for joining. Um, we hope that you will join us next week here at the Inspired Podcast. We, you know, make sure that you're looking for us on Spotify. I know we're on Spotify finally. We never thought this day would come. We're here. We made it big time, y'all. Uh, but we're still on YouTube and all of our other social media channels. So please go out there, follow us, subscribe to our channels. Um, we can't wait to share space with you all again until uh, next week. So until that happens, this is your host, Dr. Corey Steele. What up?